You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, let's uh, jump right into God's Word today. Luke chapter 11 uh, is where we're going to be starting off. So we are wrapping up our um, series on the parables. We've been here throughout the summer. We've officially turned the page to fall, and so um, our summer series comes to an end uh, looking at the parables, excited about where we'll be in the coming weeks in the book of Exodus. Um, but looking back over the past several weeks uh, at what we've learned from the parables, we were in Luke chapter 11, not that long ago, looking at uh, our responsibility uh, to, to pray in the ways that, that Christ modeled prayer to his disciples. And so if you turn to Luke chapter 11, just I'm going to read to remind us of where we were at. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We said from this passage that Jesus teaches us to pray with a focus on the increase of his fame and the growth of his kingdom, meaning we are to ask for those things that will support both while trusting that he will hear, answer, provide in only good ways. We're to pray with a specific type of focus that God would build his kingdom and expand his fame, that that God would make his greatness known so that others would be drawn to him. And so we're to pray with that type of mentality, that type of mindset. So it shifts our prayer focus from only thinking about ourselves and what we need, and and it, it causes us to expand our picture, right, to a bigger picture approach of what is God doing and what does God want to do. Uh, in our midst. And so we pray with those types of things in our focus. And then we pray trusting that God's going to work and move in those type of ways as well. Um, So Jesus gives us this prayer pattern, not a prescriptive, you have to say these words every time type of a thing, but more of a pattern that we follow, a desire for God's glory, dependency for daily needs, sensitivity towards sin, right? This idea of confessing our own sins, realizing that we're always at fault and in need of forgiveness, Uh, even praying that God would protect us from future sins, leading us not into temptation. But then there's even this idea that we're very um, open and willing and ready and able to forgive others too, that we want to forgive those who sin against us as we come praying for God's forgiveness towards us as well. Um, We talked about praying with persistence, this idea of the friend who's coming in the middle of the night or, you know, asking his friend to lend him and so we said the parable point that he, gins, he goes into here, after giving him that pattern of prayer, he now goes to this parable. And the point of the parable is that God is ready, able, and willing to respond to our needs because of our relationship to him, but even more so because of his desire to make his name known as one who provides for his people. 
So we said that, that God is fully able to answer our prayers. He's desirous to answer our prayers as well, right? So we don't have to talk him into wanting to answer our prayers. God wants to provide for his people. Um, it, it allows his fame to become known as he takes care of his people, right? And so that, that gives us assurance as we pray that we can pray knowing I'm coming to my heavenly father who wants to answer this prayer. He wants to provide for me, not just because I'm his, not just because I'm his child, but because his name becomes greater in the, in the realm of creation, knowing him as he provides. So we're not praying to inform him. We're not praying uh, to, to make him aware of what we need. He already knows what we need, right? And we can anticipate his good provision. Jesus says, God doesn't respond and give us things that we don't need when we've asked for good things. He always responds with good things to us. And so we should pray to receive things from God, but we should also pray knowing that he's going to help us to see what we actually need. The quote that I gave you that week uh, was, prayer may very well be the way that we better learn ourselves what we actually need by asking God for what we perceive to be our needs and then waiting in anticipation to see what good we truly need from him based on what he chooses to give and not give to us. Flip over to Luke chapter 20 now. Luke chapter 20, we looked at the authority of Jesus, and oftentimes our tendency to reject authority in our life. Luke chapter 20, verse 1, one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority? He answered them, I will also, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered, They did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed, and he sent another servant. But they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so the inheritance may be ours. They threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. We said that while our sinful inclination is to reject authority in our life in order to act in ways that benefit ourselves, we must remember that Jesus lays proper claim over us and demands that we steward our lives for his glory. The parable that he shares here about these wicked tenants who beat the, the master's servants and eventually kill his son um, show us that the influences of Israel have neglected their responsibilities as stewards of God's kingdom in lieu of their own selfish agendas, right? Like God's given them stewardship over his people and they've, they've rejected that responsibility and really tried to seize control for themselves. They want it to benefit themselves and they've ignored the continued corrections from God. Prophet after prophet coming to redirect them and to correct them. They rejected his messengers and have ultimately revealed their desires to remove God's authority completely from their lives. But 
we have to be careful that we're not, this, we're not guilty of the same thing, right? Um, we go through potentially stretches in life where we're not as uh, submitted to God and His Word as we should be. Um, our flesh and the temptations that are coming our way, uh, we begin to rationalize maybe why we can live a certain way and not live a certain way, even though we know God's Word would say contrary to that, right? We start to rationalize and and justify the things that we're doing, the decisions that we're making. Um, and maybe it's not always directly towards God and his word, but maybe it's towards other authorities in our life, which God's word is very clear. Those authorities are placed over us by God. Um, parents, uh, so for our kids, like your parents have been chosen for you by God. There are authorities that have been placed over you, and you have a responsibility to submit to them and be obedient to them. It's not optional. Um, so our kids have a responsibility to submit. Uh, we as adults, those of us who work jobs, have bosses that we have a responsibility to submit to. And there's temptation to grumble and to complain and to question whether you're a kid questioning your parents or whether you're an adult questioning a boss. We have to be, we have to be mindful that we have a tendency towards those things. Our flesh has a tendency to reject authority. But we see God's, hum, uh, we see God's character here, and we should be humbled by it. His character of continually coming to us, continually offering uh, ways for us to be forgiven, ways for us to hear his message, and yet uh, the people here in this parable continue to reject it. And Jesus warns, he says, you continue to reject authority, particularly God's authority, punishment, accountability is coming. He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And so, uh, in the course of, of this sermon that week, I, I, I kind of wrapped it up application-wise, giving you questions to ask yourself. Are you known as one who submits to authorities in your life with grace and contentment or one who resists and rebels? Are you using the resources entrusted to you as a steward for God's benefit and glory or as an owner for your own satisfaction? Are you listening well to the warnings you see in Scripture or do you walk away inadvertently fulfilling them? Remember, the parable talks about them killing the Son of God here. Right? The son of the, the, the master is killed, and these guys reject the parable and eventually kill Jesus really soon after this. Right? They, they fulfill the parable. We have to be careful that we don't fulfill uh, the warnings in Scripture by ignoring those warnings and carrying out um, the behavior that's described as, as things that we should not be involved in. The authority of Jesus we're reminded of here in Luke 20. Flip over to Luke 16. Luke chapter 16 Two weeks ago, we were looking at the um, story of Lazarus and the rich man. Remember, it's given in the context of Jesus' other teachings about how we steward our possessions and how we worry or don't worry about uh, the things that we wear, the things that we eat, um, how consumed are we in those things. Um, The summary sentence from Luke chapter 16 is, if God's word does not impact us to use our money for more than our own comfort, and instead, for the hope of others as well, then we should assume we are on a path to eternal torment, separated from the riches of his kingdom. Luke chapter 16, verse 19 says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, 
Have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. He said the point of this parable is that the rich will go to hell if they choose to delight in the world's luxuries only while failing to love God and others. Now, now I cautioned you as we were going through this that this passage is not teaching that rich people go to hell and, and poor people go to heaven, right? Like, that's not, the, that's not the message here. There's plenty of rich people in heaven and plenty of poor people in hell. Um, now, Scripture is very clear that if we're not careful, uh, money will, will ruin our life. And it'll certainly put us on the path of destruction. If we get consumed with the things of this world, we can certainly be led astray um, and lose sight of eternity. Um, but guys like Abraham and Job and, and others who clearly in Scripture demonstrated faith while also um, possessing much within this world. Um, and so really the messaging that's, that's found here is that how we use our stuff really reflects on uh, where we will spend eternity. How do we use the stuff that God's blessed us with? Do we steward it well or do we cease to possess it for our own, our own luxury and our own selfish gain? Um, we talked about how we respond to God's word being a life or death issue, right? And I, I think it's important for us to remember that. How we respond to God's word is a life or death issue. The prophets and Moses were clearly known by the rich man and by his brothers. It's hinted at here that um, they know these things to the point that even um, the rich man says, it's going to take more than that, Abraham. It's going to take more than that to convince them. Because I'm assuming that the rich man knows they've heard those things and they've ignored it. They've rejected it, right? Like, so it's important for us to know. It's important for our young people, for our kids to know how we respond to God's word. It's a life or death issue. It's a life or death issue. Think about what Peter says in, in John chapter 6. When, uh, and we've referenced this passage before. When uh, Jesus says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. We certainly know that our salvation is not rooted in our performance. We can never be good enough to go to heaven. We can never be good enough to earn God's favor. It's through the work of Christ that that's made available to us. We'll celebrate that through the Lord's Supper today. It's his life. It's his death. It's his resurrection. But we also know that Scripture teaches the wages of sin is death. So to disobey God's word to intentionally rebel against his good purposes for our life, that is a path towards destruction. To follow him, to, uh, to submit to him in obedience, the things that we saw in the book of Psalms, that, that his words and his instructions should be honey to us, right? It should be sweetness to us. It should not be burdensome to us. How we respond to God's word, it's a life or death issue. Do we believe that God's word has the words of life as Peter did? Do we believe that his word leads us to eternal life and away from destruction. How do we typically respond to God's word? What are we truly rich in? We talked about this week. Are we rich in the things of this world? Or are we rich in good works? 
How we treat our riches and relationships is an eternal issue. You talked about noticing the needs around us and, and the people that we see regularly. How do we respond to those people? Are we seeking to meet those needs? We said that Lazarus would have been intentionally placed by the rich man's door because he knew that he could be helped there if the rich man chose to help him, which he did not. We talked about having conversations with people in our life that we would want to have if we end up on the other side of life. Like, we're ushered into eternity. What are the conversations we would then want to have with people here? And having those conversations now. Lazarus and the rich man points us to the things that are most important, considering those things and how those things don't go with us into the afterlife, those things of this world. Lastly, let's go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we crossed into uh, both 12 and 13 with the instruction last week. Luke chapter 12, verse 54, he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge. And the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you'll never get out until you have paid the very last penny. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed, and, and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. He said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Put, put, put on manure. Then if, I should bear, then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. We said that the spiritual weather forecast tells us that our time is short and that we need to be urgent about repenting and bearing fruit as there is coming a day when we will be held accountable, a day that all tragedies and deaths point us to. We talked last week about being aware of the spiritual climate, needing to become spiritual experts and needing to be peacemakers, right? So we talked about how, uh, and at that time, you know, we hadn't even seen uh, much about the hurricane predictions, predictions, but we talked about how typically we've got people who are experts with the weather. They can predict the weather pattern and we can prepare accordingly. We thought the hurricane was going to hit more in Georgia, right? A lot of the Friday night football games got moved off of Friday night where people were playing earlier in the week. Um, and then Friday night ended up being just absolutely beautiful, like just a perfect night uh, to be outside and, en- and to enjoy um, the weather. So even in our best attempts to be experts at, at the weather, we're not. But Jesus says, typically, you can determine the weather. You can know kind of the patterns, and then you react to those patterns. He said, how much more should we be aware of the spiritual climate so that we can react accordingly? And so he kind of gives us an idea of what reacting to the spiritual climate looks like. He talks about the need to, uh, to be reconciling with other people, both with our Heavenly Father and with other people 
in our life as well. We need to be intentional to settle outside of court, right? We talked about how there's coming a day that if we don't get right with God before the day of judgment, we will experience his judgment on that day. But we can settle out of court, right? We can settle out of court, putting our faith in Christ and his work. We can escape the wrath to come, the Bible tells us. Be aware of the spiritual climate. And then we talked about the tragedies that are mentioned in chapter 13, right? And, and, and I even shared like recent tragedies that we've seen in our own community, whether it was Walmart burning down or heirloom burning down, these, these things that we hear about and we say, whoa, like what does that mean? Why did God allow that to happen? And Jesus says, look, these things happened. These people were killed by Pilate. Their blood was mingled with their sacrifices. The, the tower fell on these people and, and killed 18 of them. And he said, don't you for a second think that they are worse than you, right? Like they didn't do something to warrant that. Now we said that sometimes God does act that way. There's things that we do and then it brings about a response from him. But not all tragedies and deaths are like that. But what tragedies and deaths should always do is cause us to pause and reflect on what is important. The fact that we need to be right with God when those, things type, those type of things happen to us, when we meet him. That's when he goes into the parable, and that's the point of the parable. We've been given great privileges and advantages to produce fruit for God. And he shows us grace and even more privileges and advantages when we fail. But at some point, we will be held accountable for whether we ever produce fruit in response to all he has done for us. This, this tree doesn't produce fruit, and they're ready to cut it down. And yet the vine dresser stops and says, hey, let me put some intentional work to this. And if it produces fruit, great. If not, then we'll cut it down. And I use the analogy. We've all got stuff at our house that we keep and keep and keep and think at some point I'll use this, at some point I'll use this, and then it never gets used. Our kids will do this. Like when we start to try to weed out their toys, we, Lauren and I have to talk about like, hey, we're going to do this, and this is where it is, and don't let the kids see it, right? Because as soon as they see it, they, they get nervous, and they're like, no, I will play with that again. I love playing with that. It's my favorite toy, right? And, and you're like, you haven't played with this in a long time, right? And then the, the, the argument is like, let me play with it for a little bit. And if I play with it for a little bit, then we can keep it. But if I stop playing with it, then you can get rid of it. Kind of the same thing happening here, right? There's been no fruit. Let's cut it down. It's taking up space. It's useless. The vine dresser says, no, let's, let's, let's work a little bit harder with it. And then if it produces fruit, great. Then if not... We cut it down, and the implication is for us. We've been given advantages. We've been given resources to produce fruit for God. Are we doing that? If not, we need to repent. If not, we need to get that right. We have a responsibility to produce fruit. I challenged you last week, is, it, is the fruit of your life proportionate to the privileges that have been shown to you? Am I taking up space or bearing fruit for God's glory? Think about how many church services you've been to. For our kids, think about how many Bible lessons you've sat through, whether that's at home or at church or at school. Think about the amount of time that's been poured into you by leaders, youth leaders, small group leaders, Sunday school teachers, people that have taught you God's word. Does your life show proportionate growth to the amount of effort and attention that's been given to you? We should let recent tragedies that we've heard of remind us that life is short, that our stuff is temporary, that accountability is coming, and fruitful, fruitfulness will be expected. And if we need to repent of something, to do so today in order to be ready before it's too late.
bear spiritual fruit or risk being cut down. Four sermons, four parables to close out our series. I want to give you four things to remember and four things to do in response to our application Sunday today. Four things to remember. One from each sermon. Number one, God will always answer my prayers in ways that bring him the greatest glory and me my greatest good. Remember that. God will always answer my prayers in ways that bring him the greatest glory and me my greatest good. We need to keep that in mind, particularly when we're praying things that God may choose to answer differently for somebody else than he chooses to answer for us. We pray believing these things because God's word says it, that he will answer our prayers in ways that gives him the greatest glory. That's his concern, his name, but then also the good of his children. And so those two things drive everything that he does. I mean, what better assurance do we need that everything that's happening around us is for God's glory and for our good? We take comfort in that when we pray, knowing that God will respond in those ways. Submitting to authority in my life helps me fight the tendency to think I am the authority of my life. I think God gives us earthly authorities to submit to, partly to remind us and to help train us to submit to him. We need that in our life. Otherwise, we start to think that we rule our life. Right? We need the authorities in our life. We need to submit to those authorities because if nothing else, it reminds us that we are not the authority of our life. Number three, specific people have been placed intentionally in my path for me to serve and love them well. Specific people have been placed intentionally in my path for me to serve and love them well. I was even thinking about this week, like um, the, the times that I eat lunch uh, during the school day are pretty consistent, and pretty consistently the same people are eating lunch at that time. These are people that are in my path. How am I, how am I responding to those people in my path? Am I being intentional to find out the needs that they have? Can I serve them in specific ways? You have those people too. They're placed there intentionally for you to serve and to love them well. Be conscious of that. Number four, tragedies should always remind me that time is short, so I need to be busy with the things that matter most. Tragedies should always remind me time is short, so I need to be busy with the things that matter most. God's always going to respond to our prayers, his glory, our good. Submit to authority in our life. Reminds us that we're not the authority of our life. Be mindful of the people that are in your path regularly. How can you serve them? How can you love them well? Tragedies that you hear about, let them remind you that time is short. Be busy with the things that matter most. What do we do in response to these things to remember? Number one, I need to trust God fully with the ways he answers my prayers, especially when he answers others' prayers differently than my own. I need to trust God fully with the ways he answers my prayers, especially when he answers other prayers differently than my own. Number two, I need to be in the habit of responding to authority over me in obedience, first with God's word and then with other authorities as well, without questioning or complaining. I think this somewhat gets easier as an adult, but, um, man, I know our kids, especially as you guys get older in your home, you move from middle school into high school, and, and you can see on the horizon that I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting out on my own really soon. And I, I, 
I don't look forward to this stage in life as a parent because I know that has to be a tremendous challenge where the child begins to realize that, hey, there's some things that I can really start to do independently. I don't have to have mom and dad for this, and yet I'm still living under mom and dad's roof, and, and there's a submission piece that still needs to happen there. Like, there's, there's tension, and there's, there's healthy tension there, I think, because that, that forces our kids to want to get out and not just stay with us for the rest of their life, right? Um, but man, for our, for our kids, like, no, like, there, there's challenges there, but you are called to submit. You're called to submit because it reminds you that you are not the authority of your life. You're not. God's word has authority over all of us, whether we're a child or whether we're, we're the oldest adult in this room. God's word has authority over us. We need, to regularly, uh, we need to regularly submit to that, respond to authority, be obedient without questioning or complaining. Some people get into such a habit that they question and complain about any authority in their life, including God's word. It just becomes a, a natural thing to complain and question authority. We need to fight against that and have the habit that's opposite of that. We are in the habit of responding to authority with obedience. Number three, I need to regularly do a self-evaluation of how I'm using my stuff to ensure I am always richer in good works than in stuff. This is just you making a conscious decision that I'm going to always be evaluating how am I using my stuff. Am I hoarding it? Am I, am I uh, consuming it myself? Or am I being generous? Am I seeking to serve others with what God has blessed me with? Regularly do a self-eval. Know how you're, how you're living in response to your stuff. Are you rich in good works or have you become rich in your stuff only? And then lastly, number four, I need to pursue expertise in spiritual matters as much as I am pursuing expertise in worldly matters. Remember, Jesus says, don't be great at knowing the weather and knowing whether to grab a jacket or an umbrella for the day. Don't be an expert at knowing whether to wear shorts or flannel today right? Be an expert in knowing the spiritual things, the spiritual climate. Know what is happening around you and how to respond to it. Those are the things to remember. Those are the things to do in response to what we've learned over the past several weeks. As we always do for Application Sunday, we want to close by partaking of the Lord's Supper as an ultimate means to application for all that we've been seeing and and learning together. Because by partaking of the Lord's Supper, we are confessing once again publicly that we are saying yes to Jesus, that he is the authority of our life, and that we are continuing to follow him, that we have settled outside of court, that we're not expecting to get to judgment day and to to present our good works or to present our best efforts at righteousness. Nor are we expecting to get to judgment day and to be able to, to come out from underneath God's authority, right? We are expecting to stand before Christ one day on judgment day, knowing that we've been cleared, that we have put our faith and trust in his work. We have been forgiven of our sins because his blood was shed on our behalf. That is our faith. That is our hope. And it's the resurrection and his future return that solidifies that hope for us. It's what we long for. It's what we wait for. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to encourage you to worship with us 
by partaking of the Lord's Supper. If you didn't grab the elements on the way in, we've got them on the table out back. You're welcome to, to dismiss yourself back there to grab those. Um, <clears throat> as always, we want to encourage you that if you're a believer, you're invited to partake with us. It does not um, have to be such that you're a member here to do this. We invite all believers to do that here. Um, we are one in Christ, uh, even if you're not a member here of our church right now. Um, we also want to emphasize that this does not contribute to our salvation, add to our salvation, or ultimately save us. This is, this is a representation of what's already happened to us, right? We've already, we've already put our faith and trust in this. We're just simply, once again, confessing outwardly and openly and publicly that we are still following Jesus, right? And so we partake of that today. I'm going to pray for us and encourage you to pray and to reflect in your seats as well. Tyson and, and, and those are going to come to um, lead us in worship as a part of this as well, but encourage you to use this time as a means of personal reflection, personal worship, um, to pray and to give thanks for the work that Christ has done in your life, um, and to ask him to continue to work and move, and to to give you a heart that uh, is good soil to continue to receive his word well, uh, so that you remain faithful to him. God, we do love you. We praise you and thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the ways that you teach us from your word, how you challenge us and grow us, Lord, we thank you for Jesus, who you sent after prophet, after prophet, after prophet had been killed. You sent Jesus, who's the greatest prophet and also more than a prophet. He's your son, God in flesh. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, help us to see that our knee, our head must bow before him that our tongue must confess that he is our Lord and Savior. Lord, most of us have done that. Some may not yet have. We pray that you'd bring them to that point of repentance, bring them to that submission outside of court, outside the judgment day. Lord, I pray that they would turn their hearts to you now. Lord, for those of us that have already done that, who have already submitted our lives to you and have confessed faith and trust in the work of Jesus, Lord, keep us believing in you. For your namesake, for our greatest good, keep us believing in you. We long for Jesus to come back. In the midst of the spiritual climate that's around us, Lord, help us to keep our minds set on the things that are important. Lord, help us not to get bogged down in the riches of this world. Help us to be rich in good works as we seek to serve people around us. Lord, remind us that we are not the authorities of our life. Help us to see the authorities in our life as a reminder of that. Lord, help us to be mindful of our own spiritual fruitfulness. Help us not to squander the advantages, the privileges, the intentionality that you have given to grow us. Lord, help us to produce fruit in response to that. Lord, as we partake of the Lord's Supper now, we praise you and thank you again for all that Christ has done on our behalf. We pray that you would send Jesus soon to gather us to you for all eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.